0: And we're back. Welcome back to the SportsBall.com dot com podcast. I'm your host Jackson Williams. Um, this is episode number four. I've been doing this for a month now. That's pretty crazy, but uh, let's just jump into it. So let's start talk. Let's start this whole thing off with the uh, Super Bowl, because that just happened, and uh, I was wrong again. <laughs> I was wrong about the Eagles in the NFC Championship game, in the. Uh, I thought they'd lose to the Vikings, and I was wrong about them in the Super Bowl again. The, uh, they won the Super Bowl in one of the most exciting games I've ever seen. They won 41-33. Um, so I thought it was best to start off this episode talking about what went wrong for the Patriots, and perhaps more importantly, what went right for the Eagles. Last week I said I thought the Patriots would win the game 24-21 because I didn't trust Nick Foles, and he made me look like an idiot once again. For the second straight week, I look like a moron. Um, But he was absolutely absurd in the Super Bowl. He threw for 337 yards, three touchdowns, as well as catching a touchdown from Trey Burton on a trick play. He became the first player to catch and throw a touchdown in the same Super Bowl. Um, He did throw a pick, but uh, it wasn't his fault. The ball popped out of Alshon Jeffrey's hands, and it was was pretty lucky. Um, But yeah, he was absolutely incredible. And in a large part, that was due to the coaching of Doug Peterson. Peterson made some of the ballsiest calls I've ever seen in a Super Bowl. He just attacked the Patriots defense all game. Um, he had absolutely no fear when it came to taking or when it came to going for it and just taking chances on third and fourth down. Um, on third down, he went his offense converted something like 10 of 16 chances. and he went two for two on fourth down attempts. And those two fourth-down conversions were two of the three biggest plays of the game for the Eagles. The first one was the uh, trick play to Foles, which was absurd, an absurd play call. (laughs) I I, I still can't believe it actually worked and that it actually happened. Um, And that second fourth-down conversion was literally a play to save the game. The Pats had just taken the lead. And if they didn't convert that play, then Tom Brady would have got the ball back and most likely scored because they just had all the momentum going for him right there. But they converted it, and they finished the drive, and they scored, and they won the game. Actually, no, I was wrong. Um, that, first first down, that first fourth down play, I said Peterson called it. Um, Showtime does some... that Showtime, the TV jam, has some inside look at the Super Bowl where they have Nick Foles mic'd up and he was the one who called the that play. And Peterson's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> Man, Foles Nick Foles must have just have some of the biggest balls of any NFL quarterback to run that play in the in the Super Bowl fourth down against the Patriots. Um, on the flip side, Tom Brady and the Patriots offense was also incredible all game. And I really think that this loss falls in the shoulders of Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia. Bill Belichick's been heralded as a great defensive head coach. Patricia's been his defensive coordinator for some time now, I think like five years. And their def- their defensive game plan that they crafted forced the Eagles to only punt once. They t- forced two, t- first two turnovers. And by turnover, I mean like they got the ball back. They had that pick in the one punt in like the second quarter was that punt. There were no turnovers in the second half. They lucked out into that one interception. They didn't sack Nick Foles a single time, and they hardly even pressured him until the end of the game. It was, it was embarrassing. I'm being honest. It was it was an embarrassing defensive performance, and uh, now I have doubts about the Lions next year because uh, Matt Patricia, uh, the Patriots defensive coordinator, is going to be I'm going to going to be their head coach. But uh, like I said, though Tom Brady and his offense—they were spectacular. He threw for 505 yards and three touchdowns. His 505 yards were the most in a playoff game by any player in the history of the game. And he was just masterful throwing the football. And if he didn't have the ball stripped on on the second last drive of the game, then I think the Pats would have won that game easy, no questions asked. But uh, alas, he fumbled the ball, and the Eagles hung on to win. He also became the first quarterback to throw for more than 10,000 yards in the playoffs. Like, in his career. Obviously not in one, not in one trip to the postseason, but it's quite, it's quite an impressive stat. And it's a very exclusive group, as he's the only guy. But, uh, as with any Super Bowl, there was some controversy. And mm, some of it could have changed the outcome of the game, so I thought we'd run through it. Um, the first controversy and probably most important one was that Bill Belichick benched his starting cornerback, Malcolm Butler, right before the game and it resulted in a backup, a backup playing corner all game starting um, as well as some safeties being in man coverage on Philly's just explosive receivers who were Alshon Jeffries tall and the rest of them are pretty explosive. I don't know how tall Al- Nelson Aguilar is, but he just torched him all day too. But which, as, as you saw, benching Malcolm Butler was a, uh, a pretty bad call. And just to jog your memory as to who Malcolm Butler is, he's the man who made that game-winning interception against the Seahawks in Super Bowl Forty Nine. He was a starting cornerback last year, all year, and against the Falcons when they won the Super Bowl again. And he played like 90% of the team's defensive snaps during the regular season and the playoffs until the Super Bowl. Yet he was benched. And the reason has yet to be revealed, and it likely won't be revealed. It's been speculated it was having to do with just a perfect storm I think the quote was, it was a perfect storm of issues with, like, he had a poor week of practice, there was some sickness, and maybe he had a minor thing with curfew. But he refuted that all on an Instagram post today. So I don't really know what happened. But I think this absolutely affected the outcome of the game, because the Philadelphia wideouts were able to feast on the Patriots defensive backs that weren't named Stephon Gilmore and with with Butler's in that game you have at least a competent player to try to not lock down a guy like Nelson Aguilar who tore up the Patriots in the second half after Gilmore was switched on to off on Jeffrey and took him out of, uh, took him out of the game cuz Jeffrey was feasting in the first quarter i just think that benching butler with that explanation minutes before game time is unbelievably stupid and frankly it's un- it's unforgivable and you can it's been that's it's seen now cuz Fans in Boston are actually turning on Bill Belichick because they're, uh, they're upset with him about it. But you could see that he was clearly emotional about it before the, <laughs> before the game. It was clearly a last-second thing. He just found out of it before the game. I mean, you could see him on the sidelines crying during the National Anthem. And you think those tears really came from a moving performance of the National Anthem? You think he was just so choked up that Pink worked through her flu and was able to sing? No. He was emotional because he was benched last minute, last minute in what was a stunning, unforgivable decision that very well could have been the reason that the Patriots lost the Super Bowl. Um, there was some more controversy, so that wasn't the only one, um, surrounding the two touchdown not the two touchdown passes, but two of the touchdown catches because uh, the NFL has found a way to complicate the process of catching a football more than I thought was possible, and that's been seen time and time and time again over the last decade or so. Um, the two instances came on a touchdown to Corey Clement and the game-winning touchdown to Zach Ertz. The one that was really controversial, though, was Clement. I thought I had no problem with Zach Ertz's, but I'll get into that in a minute. Um, Clement's touchdown was a wheel route at the back of the end zone, and it was just a perfect throw from Nick Foles, just an absolute dime. But as Clement caught it, he bobbled it a little bit, and he appeared not to get both feet down and balanced. In fact, one of his feet... Looked like it was uh, like out of bounds as he was bobbling the ball, and it looked like I don't know. It looked to me like he was out of bounds, and it looked to me like it wasn't a wasn't a wasn't a catch. And I mean, the odds are that the Eagles would have scored anyways, even if that play wasn't called the way it was, because that's how bad the Patriots defense was. But the point is that the NFL has such a strange definition of what a catch actually is and how you can actually make a catch. That's impossible to try to analyze whether the ruling on the field stands or why, or if it shouldn't. And the broadcast, I thought the broadcast wasn't all that great all game, but at least they captured my feelings in that moment, saying that they gave up and they just didn't understand what was going on. Because the ruling on catch penalties, frankly, at this point is absurd. And that other controversial Controversial, in air quotes, not not really controversial. Was a past uh, Zach Ertz on a slant route who bobbled the ball as he dove for the end zone. He dove, he broke the plane, and the ball hit the ground while it was in his hands, and then bounced up, and he caught it again. Um, but it was a touchdown for me, at least. There was, I guess, there was a question as to whether or not he was a runner or still in the process of a catch, because again, the NFL's messed up this rule so badly that now there's like you're in the you're in the process of making. It. You're in the process of making a catch instead of like, wow, you caught it. It's in your hands. You caught it. <laughs> it's 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 really not that hard in my mind. But as I was saying, there was a question as to whether he was he had transform or not transformed, but transitioned into being a runner or still in the process of the catch. But he was a runner. He had made the catch. He was like three steps in and he dove, and so the touchdown absolutely should have counted and it did. So good. Um, the point really here is that judging whether a ball is caught or not just really shouldn't be as hard as the NFL makes it, and I think we can all agree on that. They just have an unbelievably incompetent way of looking at things like this, and it takes the fun out of the game. It's just so unbelievably frustrating to sit there for like 13 minutes and watch a replay going frame by frame to see if a guy, if the ball moved like a centimeter when the guy falls on the ground to see if he made a catch or not. It's the same gripe I have with the MLB and their use of replay, because... I get it most of the time. It's like, wow, the ump blew a call at first base, and it makes sense. But oftentimes, or as I've seen it used against the Giants, or in in most, the best example I can think of is the Giants last year in the NLDS against the Cubs. When they would, there were several calls like the Giants would try to steal second base. And they got it. And then the Cubs players would signal to call a replay challenge and then you go into frame by frame where you just go and see things that no one should actually be able to see but the replays have made it so it's possible and it can change the call and so you see that oh Denard's Span was safe but he popped up and while he was brushing himself off he lifted he lifted his cleat off the bag for point zero one seconds and the glove was on him at that time so he's out it's just not what replays meant for is my point and Especially with a catch. I know I was talking about baseball, but going back to a catch, it's really not that hard. You shouldn't need to replay whether or not a catch is a catch based on whether or not someone's in the process of catching a ball or whether or not he was in possession of it or if he was a runner or, or whatever it is when he's falling to the ground and it makes a catch. It's, it's absurd. And we saw this ruling with uh, the Patriots and Steelers earlier where Jesse James had a touchdown and it was called back and it was absurd. Um. And it happened all year to the Jets. Austin Safari Jenkins had like 13 touchdowns taken away from him because of replays. I don't know. It's just dumb. Um, and the last really controversial thing was um, there were several missed calls in the last play of the game. The Hail Mary pass to Gronk. Um, Patriots wide receiver Chris Hogan was held like 12 yards into his route. And that's a penalty no doubt. It's a holding call. Um, and the defense was draped all over Gronk in the end zone. But... I mean, there isn't much to do about that kind of thing. No referee wants to be that guy to make that call in the last play of a Super Bowl and potentially change the complete outcome of the game. I mean, it's basically a precedent's been set at this point where if you're throwing a Hail Mary, it's a free-for-all. It's survival of the fittest. So I didn't really have a problem with it. Um, But yeah, Nick Foles made me look like an idiot for the second time in two weeks. Or three weeks because they didn't play last week. Um, he was really he was really good, damn good. Um, it's going to be interesting next year in in uh, Philadelphia because they have the Super Bowl MVP as a backup quarterback, and they've got someone who very well could have been the regular season MVP had he not gotten hurt as their potential franchise quarterback. And I'm sure it's gonna I'm sure it's not going to amount to anything because Nick Foles knows he's a backup. But I don't know, it's, it's fun to imagine something like a quarterback controversy going on about that. Um, I don't really have anything else to talk about in terms of the Super Bowl, I think. But while we're on the topic of the NFL, we can talk about some early off-season moves and stuff that's gone down. So first, like I mentioned before, Matt Patricia has been named the head coach of the Detroit Lions. He was a coach of the Patriots for 13 years and was the defensive coordinator since 2012. Um, he's learned under Bill Belichick. Uh, going to detroit he's got a good solid franchise quarterback in matt stafford so he doesn't need to worry about that which is generally the biggest concern when going to new going to coach be a head coach because without a franchise quarterback or without a competent quarterback your team's going to go nowhere but uh again i worry about him now because of how bad the patriots defense was in the super bowl and he's in charge of the defense as the defensive coordinator and in general i don't i don't think belichick's protégés or coordinators have really worked out that well as head coaches um, in the past, but we'll see. But uh, yeah, he's going to be the Detroit Lions head coach. And then the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts had announced that they were going to bring in Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels to be their new head coach and they'd already announced it. They'd set up the introductory press conference, all the standard procedures and then today on Tuesday, February 6th, he Josh McDaniel's backed out at the last second, and he's gonna return to the Patriots, which is interesting to say the least. And now, as the internet begins to speculate on why this is happening, I think it's fair to me to take a shot in the dark as to why I think or why I think that this is happening or what's going on. I think that he's gonna be the Patriots' next head coach at some time in the, in the future, in the next two or three years, or he knows something that we all don't. Maybe that Belichick's gonna hang it up after hang it up in this offseason after the Super Bowl after his specialty the defense was unable to stop the stop the Eagles I don't think he's going to retire but it's speculation it might happen you never know he's a, he's a pretty secretive guy and I I I wouldn't be surprised if he did he's getting older and uh the report the article that came out a couple months ago about him really wanting to have Jimmy Garoppolo as his quarterback and being upset and having to trade him away, and then he also traded away Jacoby Brissett, and he's traded away several defensive pieces, and now the people in Boston are turning on him because of his benching of Malcolm Butler. You never know. But, yes, yeah, so Josh McDaniels is not the head coach of the Colts. They're going to keep looking for a guy. If I was them, I'd take a look at Stanford coach uh, David Shaw because he coached uh, Andrew Luck a little bit in college. I'd also look at Jim Harbaugh because he also coached Andrew Luck in college. And uh, I don't know, you need, you need someone to help Andrew Luck because whatever's going on with them, we haven't seen him play in like two years. And I don't know if it's all mental or something, but something's going on. They need, they need a new coach, and they said they're working on it, so there's that. Um, I think that's all for noteworthy hirings and close calls with hirings, but um, something happened today with the 49ers. So Pierre Garçon, veteran wide receiver who the, Gi- or the 49ers signed I think for two years, Last offseason. He got hurt after like six games, but he was on pace to have over a thousand yards. He made a recruiting pitch to the former former Patriots cornerback Malcolm Butler, the guy who was benched in the Super Bowl, by saying this, and it's a quote. So and it's a tweet, so it's gonna be interesting to read. Uh, yo-yo at Malcolm Butler. Come to the bay. 49ers, we got cap space, a QB, and the best wide receivers in the division are on your team. You don't have to worry about the head coach being all up in the videos. All in the way and stuff. One goal in mind over here, Super Bowl 53, let's get it, 49er faithful. This is particularly interesting to me because I'm a 49ers fan. I don't think I've... I think I've been pretty honest about that. I'm a 49ers fan. I haven't hit it from you. And it goes to show the level of confidence that Jimmy Garoppolo has just instilled in the rest of the team. And that they, the rest of the team, and me, a fan, feel that they have a legitimate shot next year. Um... Yeah, and they have, they have all the cap space in the world. I think they have the most cap space other than maybe the Browns this offseason, so they could go out and get a lot of guys. Maybe if Le'Veon Bell and the and the Steelers fall through, they could try to get him, try to replace Carlos Hyde, or maybe Jarvis Landry. Rumor has it that um, Miami doesn't have enough money to pay him what he would get on the open market, and the Ford ers do, and he's a good receiver. I think he's sec- he has the second most reception in the first three years in the league of anyone in history. Goes like Michael Thomas on the Saints, him and then Odell, so he's pretty good. He hit over a thousand yards last year, but that's off topic. Speaking of Jimmy Garoppolo, what? Um, rumor has it that he and the Niners are on the verge of signing an extension, which is great because he's the face of the team and uh, he's undefeated as a starting quarterback. <laughs> um, he's so good that Vegas. Now has the odds they put out the odds for favorites in the Super Bowl next year. They have the Forty Nineers in the top ten teams in terms of being favorites at twenty to one, which I mean, <laughs> it's not great odds, but it's something. It it means they uh, they think Jimmy G is going to be pretty good, and I'm I'm inclined to agree based off of what I've seen of him. But that's what I bet. That's it for the. Uh, NFL, I think. So uh, why don't we transition to the NBA? So we'll start We're we'll start with the Warriors, as we always do when we're talking about the NBA. We'll break down some of the recent action. They beat the Sacramento Kings 119-104. to 104. It wasn't really a good win. The team committed 25 turnovers. It just looked extremely sloppy throughout the entire game. And that's going to be a theme, by the way, throughout these the recap of the recent Warriors action. If they've just been sloppy and they've not been good. Um, KD had 33 points in that win, Steph had 23, and Clay had 20. Um, There's not much to look into here in terms of this game. Um, They were lucky to get out of a win, get out with a win, after turning the ball over 25 times. Um, The team in general in this game, and in general over the last couple couple games or maybe even a week or two, um, has looked sloppy and disinterested at times. And Steve Kerr said it best, I think. They, they need to get the All-Star break, and they need some time away from each other. They need to, They clearly are gassed and exhausted. and they, I think they've lost some motivation, to be completely honest with you, at this point. But, uh, yeah. So they beat the, the Kings, 119-104. to They turned their ball over 25 times, like I said. And then they had a back-to-back. So that was the first night of a back-to-back. So then that night, they flew to Denver... And then they lost the next day. So they lost to the Denver Nuggets, 115-108. to Uh, They led for three quarters, but they gave up the lead in the fourth quarter. And to be honest with you, I expected them to lose this game. It was basically a scheduled loss, if that makes sense. It was a back-to-back, which is already tough enough for a basketball team. And the Warriors were going from Sacramento to Denver. So they lost an hour, and there's the altitude change in Denver, mile-high city. So by the end of the game, the Warriors were just gassed. And they just didn't play good all game. They were lucky to be leading for as long as they were. And the the uh the back to back while going to Denver from the West Coast is such an unbelievable advantage for the home team. And it's not just me saying that as a Warriors fan, I try to justify this loss because it was a bad game when they should have lost. Um but it's something like in this this scenario hasn't happened a whole lot, but it's happened like 27 times, and the Nuggets are 24 and three when a team from the West Coast flies to Denver for the second night of a back-to-back, and that's just, it just shows you how tough that truly is. But uh, the Warriors absolutely could have won this game if not for some questionable questionable decisions down the stretch. Um, Steve Kerr replaced Andre Iguodala. With the uh, rest of the with the rest of the uh, starting lineup, with Nick Young in the closing minutes, and uh, it was not great. It <laughs> it was pretty bad actually. Nick Young, he ended up taking control of the ball and airball the three instead of giving the ball to K.D. Steph Clay or Draymond in like the closing minutes when they actually had a chance to stay in the game or maybe even take a lead. I don't remember the scenario. It was like four days ago, but. I can't be too mad at him because he's like the only guy on our bench who's willing to shoot. So, but yeah, and then there was another thing. Draymond was running down the court. I think they're only down by one at this point, and he passed to a covered KD on the right side at the, uh, not at the top of the key, but like, uh, like where he was, um, where he was when he hit that shot over LeBron, in the in Game Three of the Finals. He passed at him, and he was covered instead of a wide-open Klay Thompson on the other side of the court to put the Warriors ahead for a three. But there's not really much of a point in going too far into it. It's just a pass. It's gonna. It happens every game. The kind of pass will go to the wrong guy or whatever. It doesn't really matter. In the grand scheme of things, it's one pass. It's one game in February. Um, and then today, I'm recording this on Tuesday, February 6th. Um, and if I sound particularly dejected or frustrated or upset, it's because the Warriors just played the OKC Thunder and they lost like 125 to 105 was the score. Um, the War, the Thunder had lost four straight coming into this game and then the Warriors were one and two in their last three games coming into this one. (sighs) This game was super frustrating. (laughs) <laughs> and re- reliving it all, it wasn't even that long. I was like, probably thirty minutes ago at this point. It's just not fun. But uh, so the Warriors ended up losing their first back to back game of the season. Back to back games of the season, they were eleven and zero. Now they're eleven and one. Um, the Thunder just came out in that first quarter and just absolutely blitzed them. They had like forty eight points. It wasn't forty eight. It was above forty points in the first quarter. And Russell Westbrook just went. He just went crazy in the first quarter. I think he had twenty-one points. Um, Katie did his best to keep the Warriors in it. They had like thirty points in the first quarter. But he had like he had like seventeen. And then the game just didn't get any better. Um, it was pretty poorly officiated, even though I think that that's not a hot take. I think both sides would agree on that. Um, but that's definitely not the reason the Warriors lost. The Warriors lost because they got outplayed. They just tried to get too cute with the passes. try to do like these little lob passes over the entire Thunder defense, but you can't do that with Paul George because this year he's really good at stealing the ball because he can't control the ball in offense all game. But uh, it was frustrating. The Warriors turned the ball over more than 20 times again as a result of being too cute with the ball. And the Thunder had something like 40 points off turnovers, naturally, because that's what happens when you turn the ball over. Um, Draymond Green got picked up two technical fouls, got ejected. <laughs> and the one positive thing I can take away from this game is that when Draymond Green got ejected, he made some smiley face into the camera. So it'll make a pretty good, pretty good gif or jif, however you pronounce it. That was really it in terms of what what positive things to take away from this game the thunder just manhandled the warriors top to bottom all game and i'm i'm now very frustrated and annoyed with our bench and how guys are just unwilling to shoot unwilling to actually like do something meaningful off the bench i mean we've had like two guys be decent off the bench this year and it's been like Kevin Looney, most of the time he was bad tonight, and David West, and David West is forty years old. We've got Nick Young, who at least he shoots, so I can't be too mad. But he just, when he does shoot, it's just a, a lot of the time it's just an Ill, ill-conceived three, or he'll dribble in and try to do some acrobatic layup, even though he can't do that because he's not a very acrobat or athletic guy. Um, we've got Pat McCaw, who after a promising first year in the league. And promising performance in the finals last year. Uh, sucks. No way around it. He sucks. Omri Caspi, who we brought in because he's a, he supposedly was going to be willing to shoot some threes for us. He was, was like a career 38% three point shooter, which isn't bad. It's pretty good, actually. And he's taken a total of 18 threes in 50 games with the Warriors. Let me repeat 18 threes. In 50 games. In his career, he's played like 500, 520-something. I think it's 526 games. And he shot over 1,300 threes. And 18 of them, <laughs> 18 of them have been with the Warriors. And if it's it's just, uh, he gets the ball wide open on the three-point line. And he'll just dribble right into the paint. And he'll pass it out again. Or he'll throw up some little flip shot. Some backhanded flip shot, which goes in 60% of the time. But it's cool. It's two points and not three, which we'd do we all prefer at this point. Andre Godala, uh, he got paid in the offseason and sucks. <laughs> he swindled us. He got he got paid in the offseason, and uh, now he can't shoot. I think he's shooting 26% on the year, not just from three, from everywhere. I can't even remember last time he had a three. Sean Livingston's been okay. Not worth what we're paying him, but okay. His mid-range game has fallen off a little bit. Javel McGee barely plays. When he does, he checks in and gets like a foul immediately. JaVale McGee's taken nearly as many threes as Omri Caspi. Yeah. <laughs> That's the state of the Warriors bench right now. We have like a million bigs, and none of them are well-rounded enough to do anything, especially with Jordan Bell hurt. Because I think Jordan Bell's really good off the bench. And he's potential to be really good. And I I'd prefer him to be in the starting lineup over Zaza at this point. But he's hurt. It's super frustrating. But anyways, the Warriors lost 125-105. to 105. KD had something like 35 points or something, which was nice. Because he was the only warrior who could do anything on offense. Russ Westbrook had something like 37 points. He didn't get a triple-double, though, so, I mean, did the, did the Thunder really win? Did they really win? Does it count because he didn't get a triple-double? He finished with, like, 37 points, 9 assists, 9 rebounds. So, ha! You didn't actually win. We stopped you. You didn't have a real good game. Um, and then Paul George had, like, 37 points. Yeah, that's really all I want to say about that. I probably talked more about that than I wanted to, or for longer than I wanted to. But it is what it is. And so let's move on to some stuff that will maybe lighten my mood a little bit. So, uh, breaking news just happening right now. Not really, but I thought it would be fun to say that. The Cavaliers, uh, they live in Cleveland. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they're uh, still trash. They're still bad at basketball, in case you forgot. In their last four games, they're now 1-3 with a minus 11.6 net rating. They have a net rating of plus 0.8. When Isaiah Thomas is sitting, <laughs> which means they're better when he doesn't play. If you couldn't figure that out from what I said, um, reports came out today that in their players-only meeting a couple days ago, or a couple not a couple days, a couple weeks ago, when uh, the meeting is famous for Isaiah Thomas coming in and calling out Kevin Love for for faking an illness. Um, in that same meeting, came out, this came out today, LeBron cussed out several team executives for things that he was upset about, like they, them trading away Kyrie because they didn't have to do that. Even, well, they, they kind of had to. I'll get into that in a second. And then not trading for some of the players he wanted, like Paul George or Jimmy Butler or Eric Bledsoe. And instead they got Isaiah Thomas, who's five feet, nine inches of garbage <laughs> and being washed up. Um... And when I said something, I said uh, he was mad about them trading Kyrie because he thought they had a choice in the matter. But they didn't really because it leaked that Kyrie threatened to sit out the season with knee surgery if he'd stayed because he just didn't want to play with LeBron anymore. He was done with it. (laughs) So even realistically, they couldn't have kept him. Kyrie wouldn't have let it happen. But uh, one thing has become abundantly clear that once this season is over, LeBron's gone. He's leaving Cleveland, and he's not coming back, unless he's buying the team at some point down the line. Today, I wish I could... I would be in such a better mood to talk about the Cleveland losing today if the Warriors didn't just get railed. So, when I wrote my outline for this, I was in a really good mood about it, but I just, I'm, less, I'm not in as good a mood, because I can't really brag, because the Warriors lost. But, uh, so the, today, they lost to the Orlando Magic... After leading by over 20 points in the first half, they only scored nine points, nine, in the fourth quarter, and they lost one sixteen to ninety eight. <laughs> and just a frame of reference here: the Magic are not very good. Their record is now seventeen and thirty six. Last week, we, when I, I last week I talked about the Magic barely losing to the Rockets, and the the Cavs got blown out. By both those teams this week the Rockets and the Magic so they lost to Houston which is expected because Houston's a better team than they are but they lost 120 to 88 and it looked like they could have lost by 50 they were, it's embarrassing at this point how bad they are at defense and just how little they appear to be trying or how little they, the team actually has chemistry and if I'm being honest, I would suggest that they should try to trade LeBron because he clearly isn't happy, and they could get a massive return. But he said, and this came out today as well, that he will not waive his no-trade clause this year because he quote unquote wants to see the season, wants to see the th- the season through with the Cavs. So even even though he knows that the Cavs are are going nowhere. And I don't—they're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna win the East, and they're definitely not gonna win the finals. He—he <laughs> he doesn't want him to trade him and get a nice return for him. He just really wants to screw Dan Gilbert, who's the owner of the Cavs. They—they don't have a, a good relationship. If I'm being honest, I kind of respect him for it. He's doing a better job at dismantling Cleveland and bringing Perry to the, Perry to the East than the Warriors could. So salute, nice job, LeBron. But uh, for the Cavs... Isaiah Thomas is clearly their biggest problem right now. I think I I ranted about him for like 15 minutes in the episode one of this, of the pod, but uh, <laughs> I I think about it all the time. I think Danny Ainge is probably laughing to himself constantly and just laughing himself to sleep, knowing that he swindled the Cavs this badly. He got Kyrie Irving for Jay Crowder, who's trash outside of Brad Stevens' system. Isaiah Thomas. Who's been trash except when he's playing in Brad Stevens' system in the Brooklyn pick? He got a franchise, got a franchise player, and his team is the best in the East, hands down. And like I was saying with Isaiah Thomas, he's clearly the problem, as I said. And today, after the game to the Magic, he said this, and this is a quote: "When adversity hits, we go our separate ways." So that's funny. He's clearly a cancer to the team, and he's causing them to go in these separate ways. That he says because the thing I said with Kevin Love, and he's just taking bad shots and he's not scoring and he's not shooting well. And Sample has gotten bigger. I think he's played like 15 games at this point. It's bad. It's, it is time to blow up the Cleveland Cavaliers, just trade everybody for parts and move them to Seattle. Bring back the Supersonics, get rid of the Cavs. Problem solved. No more basketball fans in Cleveland rooting for the Cavs. We no longer have to deal with them. There's no more basketball team in Ohio, and then Seattle gets its team back. All good. (laughs) What happened to the Cavs, man? What happened to all their fans? What happened to all the people saying that this was maybe the deepest team in NBA history and that the Cavs could easily win the East and then go beat the Warriors in six games? (laughs) Where did you all go? We got the deepest. We got the deepest team in NBA history. We got LeBron. We got Kevin Love. We got Tristan Thompson. We got Isaiah Thomas, He was an MVP candidate last year. Oh, have you seen our bench? We got Jay Crowder. We got Derrick Rose, he was an MVP in two thousand eleven. Oh, and then we got Dwayne Wade. Oh, wow, can you believe it? We're set. And then imagine the trade line. Traded line. We're gonna get Boogie Cousins. We're going to Anthony Davis. Maybe even DeAndre Jordan. Who knows? Where are you now? <laughs> You've lost like 15 out of your last 20 games. Your record's like... The Cavs' record right now is like 30-22. and 22. They're so bad. I did, this did light my spirits a little bit about the Warriors losing. This is hilarious. And the best part is right now... They could get better. They could trade away, their, trade away their old aging contracts for some better pieces, or maybe even bring in a star player if they're willing to trade their Brooklyn pick. But guess what? They're not. Reports are that they're not willing to trade their highly coveted Brooklyn pick, and that the guys they that they want are on teams that are really uninterested in the junk that they that they'd be able to get get in return. No one wants Jr. Smith, who suddenly can't shoot. Iman Shumpert, who I haven't even seen or heard anything from since he played that, like, four-minute stretch when he was going to get traded to Sacramento, but nothing happened. No one wants Tristan Thompson, who is owed, like, $50 million and is basically one of the worst big men in the league right now. No one wants any of these guys. And if the Cavs don't do something major with this deadline, which is on Thursday, by the way, the idea of them winning the East... Or winning the finals goes from something to consider to something we never think about again. They'd be done. The Cav- the Cleveland Cavaliers, as we know them, would cease to exist. LeBron would leave. Other guys would follow suit. If I'm them, I start trading for trading guys away for parts now. You could build some nice teams just if you sent like Kevin Love to Portland for like a pick or some young guys. You could start building a nice young core in Cleveland, which ultimately wouldn't be that great, but you'd feel good about yourself because you'd have a draft pick, and then you'd have Kevin Love paired with a guy like Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. I think that'd be pretty good in the East or in the West if you get that, and they're also in talks for, like, DeAndre Jordan, so imagine that. Imagine Damian Lillard running the point. You got C.J. McCollum at the 2, Kevin Love at the 4, DeAndre Jordan at the 5. This te- I don't think this team's going to happen, but I'm imagining. Um, I think they'll be pretty good. Pretty good in the West. I think that might actually be better than a team like OKC, which uh, before today I would have said is not hard to be better than OKC. But then the war is lost by 20. So now I can't say that. But just know that I would have. I would have done it yesterday. I might have, I would, I maybe even, I would have even done it tomorrow. I'll sleep, I'll sleep it off. But I'm still kind of upset that they lost. But uh, speaking of the trade deadline and all that jazz, um, the Los Angeles Lakers have made it clear that they're going to focus on free agents in 2019 and not this offseason, which signals to me that they either aren't as high on LeBron right now as he's declined slightly in his age 33 season, or they just think they don't have a shot with him. Rumor has it they prefer to focus on a Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, or Jimmy Butler. Now the thing is with those guys is well, I'll start with this. I'll start with Clay. Clay has made it clear that he wants to be a warrior for a long time, and that he doesn't want to leave a situation like this where he could win a championship after championship after championship. And I think it was today his dad confirmed that he loves being a warrior and in fact wants to retire as a warrior. He'd said it on some radio show that if it's up to him, he'd retire as a warrior, and that Michael Thompson, who's his dad, and Clay have had conversations that when he retires and he's in the Hall of Fame, he wants to make sure he's got it's a, it's, a, it's as a warrior, and he wants to have his jersey retired in the new Chase Center and all that. Side note: This is kind of unrelated, but Michael Thompson, Clay's dad, has easily the best Twitter account of all time, and that uh, posts some of the funniest things that I have ever read on Twitter and they're just ridiculous too, but that's unrelated. But, uh, it'd be interesting to see Lakers with guys like, with a guy like Jimmy Butler, who I think could be a good fit, if I'm being honest with you, um, with their young core. Uh, I don't see, I don't see Kawhi going there. It doesn't, he just doesn't seem like a good fit personality wise. He's a very quiet guy. Los Angeles is a very loud city like New York or Miami. I don't think, I don't see him going any of those big, big name places. Um, but uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's hard for me to get all worked up about the Lakers at this point. I'm just not too high on them. Uh, it seems really like they're going nowhere, um, and you can easily counter or any, undercut any front office moves that the team makes because Magic Johnson, who's their president, G, president, I don't, he basically runs it runs it all. But he's their president. He basically announces his intentions a year in advance. Um, He's, he's being investigated for tampering all the time. In fact, he got fined today for tampering, $50,000, because he was talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo in an interview on TV. <laughs> it's, it's I, I don't know. This doesn't seem like that organization is very well run right at this point. And good, because frankly, I'm not a huge fan of the Lakers, because as a kid, I was a Orlando Magic fan because Dwight Howard was an incredible player, three-time defensive player of the year, and he he was very fun to watch before he blew up the team and moved to Los Angeles Lakers, which I already did not like because the 2009 NBA Finals when the Lakers won in five games. But when Dwight blew up the Magic and uh, moved to L.A., that was just one more reason not to like them. And then... After that, I decided to root for the home team or hometown team, the Warriors. So I don't think that makes me a bandwagon fan. Also because I live in the Bay. But I just don't like I don't like the Lakers. I'm not too high on them. I don't think Lonzo Ball's all that great. I think he's pretty overhyped. Like yeah, he's a good passer. There are lots of good passers. <laughs> he's got the wonkiest jump shot ever. Or not ever, but he, it's up there. I think I don't think Brandon Ingram's gonna be end up being that good. It's been was last year's rookie year, or the year before, because people project him to be like KD. I don't see it. He has nice nights every now and again, but other than that, it's pretty pedestrian. Kyle Kuzma's is really good, but I don't know how sustainable that is. But yeah, I don't, I'm not too high on the Lakers. But if they got a guy like Jimmy Butler, I think that'd be interesting. I'm trying to fit him in, fit him in with their young core. Maybe he could mature him a little bit. Um, yeah. Um, there haven't been any major trades or anything since I last recorded an episode of the uh, of the pod. So I thought I would take a little bit of time to revisit that Blake Griffin trade that we talked about last time because the early returns so far have been intriguing. So the Pistons, who traded for Blake Griffin, are now 3-0 and within the lineup. And while he hasn't been great, or as good as he was with the Clippers, his numbers haven't been that great. His shooting percentages are down and less points per game and all that. His teammate has been better. Andre Drummond, who's an all-star center, has averaged at nearly 20 points and 20 rebounds a game since the trade, which is insane. And I know it's early, but I'm starting to think that this trade may have been enough to propel the Pistons back into the playoff picture in the East. I still think the Clippers swindled them, they gave up way too much for Blake Griffin. <laughs> but if they get to the playoffs, hey, maybe it's worth it to you. Maybe the city of Detroit needs a playoff team that badly at this point. Because the Tigers the Tigers are bad this year. The Lions were bad this year. Maybe the Pistons are your saving grace. <laughs> that felt weird coming out of my mouth. Pistons aren't very good, is my point. But... uh the Clippers also got better, which I expected because they got a lot of pieces back and a lot of a lot of nice pieces back for Blake Griffin. But they've won two straight games. Uh, looks like their new additions have been decent. Um, yeah, Tobias Harris had a nice game the other day. Um, yeah, and that's it basically on that. On revisiting that, I guess I didn't take as much time as I thought it would. But uh, I guess we can talk about an injury that happened today in the NBA, which is pretty significant. Christophe Porzingis, superstar, the unicorn of the uh, New York Knicks. He fell. I didn't see the play exactly. Um, in a game against the Bucks. And he ended up he ended up tearing his ACL. So he's out for the rest of the year, which is it's pretty disappointing because he was pretty fun to, he was he's, he is super fun to watch. And again, ACL tears are they're bad. Because you don't know what you're going to get back. Or how long it's going to take to come back. Um, but yeah, it's sucked to see him go down. Um, Team LeBron has now lost three of its starters. <laughs> it's a curse. I don't want Kevin Durant to play another second before the All-Star break. Because I don't want him to get hurt like this. They lost... who they lose? They lost Porzingis, obviously. They lost Boogie Cousins before. And one other guy who I can't remember who it was it was somebody important it was an all-star starter but yeah it sucks being on team LeBron apparently gets you cursed in in the regular season and in the all-star game Cavaliers suck his all-star team is getting depleted team Step is looking like uh, it, it could win this thing Win the All Star Game after all that. Uh, after everyone bashed his his drafting skills, ha! Don't don't doubt Steph. He knows what he's doing. Um, I think that's it for the uh, uh, NBA. I think I covered everything I wanted to there. So now let's move to the MLB, where nothing really happened. Major happened, but pitchers and catchers report next week. So I'm very excited about that. Then baseball season is going to start. People are going to get injured, which is not great. I'm not looking forward to injuries. But, like, th- things are going to start happening is what I mean in, in World of Baseball because free agency and offseason have been really slow. Nothing's really happened in months other than, like, some a couple trades. But I'm looking forward to things actually getting going. But today, something happened. Um, it was announced that Tim lincecum is having a showcase on february 15th for f- teams because he wants to come back because he should um and i really hope the giants give him a shot because he deserves it and uh we deserve it as fans damn it we deserve to have tim Lincecum come back in a giants jersey in ATT t park winning games again um, he's been at this program up in uh i think it's in seattle It's some power throwing program. Helps build back velocity and works with throwing technique and all that. Trevor Bauer does it. He's a pitcher on the Indians. Um, He's been successful. And reports uh, reports coming out of there haven't been all that frequent or all that lengthy with many details in it. But uh, I heard that he was looking pretty good. So I'm intrigued. I really want to see him come back. And there's going to be no media at this showcase, so Odds are we're not gonna see a whole lot of it. And he might not want to come back to the Giants. But uh I would really like it. I would really like to see Tim Lentz come back. And I think if you're a if you're a Giants fan, then you would like to see him back too. And if you don't want to see him back and you're a Giants fan, then I don't think you're really a Giants fan. I think there's like three levels of being a Giants fan at this point. And only or there's three there's three reactions or four reactions, maybe three. We'll see how far I can get. there's a certain amount of reactions you can have to hearing Tim Linskin having a showcase and that the Giants might want to give him a shot. One, you don't care. You're just indifferent to the whole situation. Two, you're excited that he's coming back and you don't want him in the Giants. Three, you think it'd be nice to see him back in the Giants. You don't know if he'd be worth it, but you think it'd be nice and you You'd be excited if he'd come back. And four, you're frothing out the mouth, just jumping out of your chair, not going to be able to sleep until it happens, wanting to see him back on the Giants. Uh, and that's that's number four, that option. If you're a real Giants fan, that's where you're at right now. You want to see him back in that number 55 jersey, on that mound, in AT&T Park, succeeding. And that's where I am. I Since I found out he's having a showcase and that the Giants are going to go, um... Uh, I haven't been able to sit still. I'm so excited. I, it, it, I'm pretty shameless when it comes to my my being a fan of Tim uh, I can't help it. It's like – it's because like, it, fans like this aren't really like – people like this aren't really fans like this in MLB. It's really more like, wow, there's some really great quarterback, wide receiver, or, or defensive back in the NFL. Or a star player in the NBA, where you'll stand by them no matter what happens. Things like that don't really happen in baseball. I'll tell you right now, I you would take. I don't think I could ever not be a fan of Tolinskam. He could probably kill a guy, and I'd still be a fan of him. <laughs> that sounds that sounds so bad coming out of my mouth, and it's true. <laughs> if Timmy's back in the Giants. If Timmy's back pitching with the Giants, I would be so excited. I'm unable to contain my excitement. I wouldn't even care if he's good. He could he could start thirty three games, and have an ERA of like seven, and go zero twenty six, and I'd still be excited to watch him pitch every day. Timmy. Oh, and I mean we <laughs> we we've, we've basically built an all star team from the years two thousand eleven to 2013 why don't we just bring him in if we're really relying on the fountain of youth here what's the downside <laughs> bring back go find cliff lee i don't think he's officially retired bring him back too who cares we're either gonna be really good or we're gonna suck i don't know if we're gonna be anywhere in that middle ground i mean that'd be nice i'd probably prefer that <laughs> but i don't see any real downside to bring it to me back I think it'd be good. Especially if we already if we we're still gonna have Pablo. <laughs> we brought him back. Uh but yeah, I think Yeah, it was reported the Giants are gonna be at the showcase. Good. And we'll see what happens. It's in what, a week? Ten days? When you hear this, it'll be this I'll put this up podcast up on the seventh. So it'll be eight days eight days before the showcase. I'll probably sign in the middle of spring training or something. Um but yeah, that's tim- it the Timlets confront. I'm excited. Um, And then all- last thing for baseball, or for MLB, is that Barry Bonds is going to get his number retired this year by the Giants. I think on um, August 11th. I don't know for sure. Which is great, because he deserves it. But he also deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and that's going to happen eventually. I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. No doubt, if he's not in the Hall of Fame. It's- the Hall of Fame is not really the Hall of Fame, is it? Uh, we talked about this last week. I don't need to get too far into it, but... He's having his number officially retired. It's been unofficially retired since he, since he retired from baseball. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that. I think he's already in the Giants' Wall of Fame. He's a plaque outside the stadium. But it got me thinking about what Giants players are most likely to have their number retired next. Or like what, what numbers I expect to be retired. I expect... Buster Posey to be retired, or number to be retired. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. Won three World Championships, MVP, Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year. Gold Glover, he's a stud. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He deserves to have his number of retired. Um, Madison Bumgarner can have his number retired. Best for, best pitcher in postseason history. Best pitch in World Series history, hands down. He's also really good at hitting home runs. God, that sounds so lame when I say that. <laughs> He mashes. He's he's a really good hitter, but that's not really as important as the other stuff. Um, Matt Cain's going never have his number retired through the perfect game, part of three World Series teams. Um, who else? I think Brandon Crawford's going to end up having his number retired um, because he's just a stud, and I think he might end up playing his whole career with the Giants, which would be great. Um, Timmy's going to definitely have that number retired. He was going to have it, and I, <laughs> I'm not going back to start it's super fanning about Timmy again. But he's gonna have number retired. Two-time Cy Young Award winner, three-time World Series champion, two-time no hitter, or two he threw two no hitters. Um, who else? Is there anyone else? Bruce Bochy's gonna have number retired, number fifteen. And I think that might be it for current Giants. I think would get their number retired. Um, maybe the off chance they retire Hunter Pence's. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. Um, but I think that's it for at least that I can think of right now. Yeah, I think that's it for now. Uh, maybe they retire some of their reliever numbers, like Jeremy Affelt or Javier Lopez or something like that. Maybe. Who knows? I don't think they'll do that, but I wouldn't be surprised. But, uh, yeah, I think that's it for the MLB. Nothing really happened this week. There's more rising tensions between players who haven't signed, being unhappy with the offers they've received, and the MLB or the or the owners. Uh, they might they have been talked, supposedly about having a free agent player spring training or workout facility where they can practice because they're not on teams, obviously. But other than that, I don't really think there's anything going on baseball-wise right now. Other than that, so what do we talk about? We talked about the NFL. We talked about the Super Bowl. Some of the hirings, firings, weird stuff. We talked about NBA, um, more recent Warriors action, Cavs being bad. I, a little bit about the Warriors. How I don't really like them, or the Lakers. How I don't really like them. That we talked about. Baseball. Oh, I did mention the uh, Football Hall of Fame. Uh, I'll talk about this more next week because I, I wasn't really prepared for this. But uh, a couple guys made it. I I think. A, a whole bunch of guys made it into the NFL Hall of Fame this year. Um, Brian Urlacher made, Urlacher made it. Randy Moss made it. Um, Ray Lewis made it. Um, a couple other guys. And then T.O. made it. Terrell Owens finally made it. I thought he deserved to be on the first ballot. I think he's the second greatest receiver of all time, maybe third, depending on where you put Randy Moss. But I think it goes, in my mind, it goes Jerry, T.O., Than Randy Moss. And I think think the reason he was kept up, and it's not really a theory at this point, it's because he didn't get along with the media and he was viewed as a mm, locker room cancer. Um, But yeah, he made it. Uh, Congrats to all those guys who made it. It's not like they're going to listen to this, but still, congrats. Um, I'll get more into the Hall of Fame stuff next week for the NFL, because I think I've probably talked long enough. But, uh, Thanks for tuning in. This has been the sportsball.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams. If you enjoyed this pod, um, check out my writing where I get more in-depth on all the stuff I talk about at sportsball.com, S-P-O-R-T-Z-B-A-L-L.com, and uh, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.